And uh, my, my family's been back here in the States for about nine months now. We're going to be heading back to Papua New Guinea in about two weeks' time. Uh, when I met with Antonio and Chad, and uh, Isaiah was there too, um, he, he asked me, hey, is there any way that you could come back up to Bakersfield and share what you do uh, with our church? And I said, I, you know, I'm looking at my watch going, man, I've only got about a month left here in, in America. I, I don't know if this is going to work out or not. But just hearing what God has done in this church over the last few months, over the last couple of years, through Antonio, through many of you guys, um, and, and the opportunity to speak into that at a very foundational level, man, uh, it's something that makes my heart leap. So yeah, uh, when we were trying to juggle a schedule, uh, this thing very quickly rose to the top of the priority list and uh, took off from San Diego this morning at 3 o'clock. Um, to share with you guys, and we'll be heading back down there uh, this afternoon after we're done. But uh, it's just a tremendous privilege to be able to share with you guys this morning just a little bit of what God is doing in a far corner of this world. Um, as, uh, as I share with you my story this morning, you're going to understand a little bit more uh, what I'm talking about, but... Uh, there's a lot of things that I've done in my life that actually just terrify me. I, I've been carjacked before. I've been mugged before. I've been out in the middle of the ocean uh, on a boat that's sinking in the water where there's no Coast Guard. There's no radio. There's no nothing. Uh, I've been terrified a lot of times in my life. But uh, few things equal the terror that I feel when I stand up in front of folks to share. So, Having said that, why don't we open our time with a word of prayer uh, and just pray that God would bless our time together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a new day of life. Lord, thank you for bringing each one of these individuals here this morning. I don't know uh, where each one of them is at and their relationship with you. I don't know what you're teaching each one of them. But Lord, you do know each one of them intimately. And I pray that you would give me the words to say this morning that would bring you honor and glory. Lord, anything that's been done over in Papua New Guinea, anything that's been done here in the States is not because there's great men that have done it. It's because you're a great God using very, very broken and frail tools to accomplish your will. And we're so grateful that you do use us. Lord, be with us here this morning. I pray that you would take your word and drive it into the hearts of my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us and embolden us where you want us to be more courageous. Lord, thank you so much that your heart beats for all peoples. We pray that you would be honored here this morning. In your name, amen. amen. Well, um, like I said, I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning, so I've got about seven cups of coffee coursing through my veins right now. So uh, I, I don't need the coffee to start talking fast, but that's definitely going to help the, the speed pick up here. So if I start going too fast, I usually end up forgetting a couple things. Um, I've brought a stack of prayer cards with me. They're on the table out back. 
uh, and I'll probably forget it by the end of the message, so I'll give the little promo right now. If after this morning you guys are interested in following what God is doing amongst the people group that we are working and living with, called the BM people, I challenge you to pick up one of these cards. It's got a picture of my wife and three kids, uh, a whole lot prettier than myself, so go ahead and grab one of those. Uh, there's an email address on the back. If you're interested in getting updates, we send out updates about once every one or two months just to, uh, about what God is doing out there amongst that one particular people group. If you're interested in following that, drop us an email, and that's the easiest way for us to, to correspond with folks. Uh, there's Facebook and Instagram on there, too, if you're into that stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's the little promo shot. Um, as Antonio said, my name is Brandon Buser, and I wasn't able to bring my wife and three kids with me this morning, but uh, they're down in San Diego, and we're, we're putting things together to head back overseas to Papua New Guinea. Uh, this morning, man, there is so much that I want to communicate to you guys. Um, but I'll say this. The two main things that I want to get across this morning is, one, what our mission is as God's church that we are to be about taking his name to all peoples, to the very ends of the earth. Not just here in Bakersfield, not just here in America, not just in Jerusalem and Judea, but to the ends of the earth. I hope and I pray that you guys come away with a clear understanding that that is not just for some Christians to be involved in. That's not just for some Christians to play a part in that job. That's for every single one of us to have a role in that mission. The other thing that I want to communicate is that as you hear my own testimony, I want to communicate that this job, it's doable. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's going to take a long time to do it, to accomplish it, to take God's message to where it hasn't been proclaimed yet. That takes time. And it's worth investing your life into that. It's not going to be done by giving two weeks. It's not going to be done by giving a couple months. It's going to take years to accomplish this task in these unreached people groups of the world. So I hope to communicate those two things. Now, there's always a danger, too, as we talk about these topics. One, man, uh, obviously there are a lot of Christians that hear, oh, missions is for everyone, huh? What, you think we're all supposed to go? Guys, you know what? I'm not saying that. But even if I was, trust me, the American church has never been in danger of sending too many people to the mission field. That's not a, that's not a realistic danger. Don't worry. We're not going to cross that line anytime soon. The other danger in sharing my testimony is that sometimes people come away with these statements of, wow, that's just so amazing what you do. And I get the sense that people start thinking, wow, you must be something special to be able to have done something like that with your life. Guys, if I could open up my heart and my mind and show you guys the sinner that I am, the average Joe that I am, man, I would, I would do that in a heartbeat to show you that whatever's been accomplished amongst this people group that we live and work with, the BM people, that is not because we're some superior type of Christian. Man, we are unbelievably broken and insufficient tools 
But man, we're tools in the hands of a mighty, mighty God. And that's why great things happen. Not because we're great Christians that he uses. So man, I hope that you guys don't come away thinking, wow, that guy's, that guy's interesting. He's a little weird. He's a little unique. I'm not like that. Therefore, I couldn't do this. No, 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 no. God can use any one of us to expand his kingdom here on earth. And I believe that he wants to use each and every one of us. Will our roles be exactly the same? No, absolutely, obviously not. But man, he does have a role for each and every one of us in getting his name to the ends of the earth. Amen. So this morning, um, I want to share with you guys some scripture passages. I want to share with you uh, my testimony. My own uh, testimony starts... Uh, I was born in Michigan in 1978, and uh, when I was six months old, my parents jumped on a plane in Los Angeles, California, along with my older brother and myself, and we flew halfway around the world to the country of Papua New Guinea. Now, be honest with me. How many of you guys have ever heard of the country of Papua New Guinea before? Okay, there's a couple hands. Good. Uh, Papua New Guinea is right above the north coast of Australia. And it's kind of the last stop on the train tracks, all right? Nobody goes to Papua New Guinea unless you've got millions of dollars and you're a tourist or you're a missionary, okay? Those are the only two groups of people that go there. But that's where mom and dad went in 1979. I was six months old at the time. And they landed there, and they heard about this people group called the Itedi people. The Itedi people live far interior in Papua New Guinea, in the jungles, right on the equator, 100% humidity every day of the year, 100 plus degrees every day of the year. I mean, it is hot, and it is wet, and it is rainforest, virgin jungle. And that's where this group of people, the Itedis, lived. They were cannibalizing people five years before my family moved in there. Very, very primitive, very remote people. My mom was the first Caucasian lady they had ever seen in their lives. None of these people had ever seen an automobile or an airplane before in their lives. They didn't know what a light bulb was, electricity, no idea. These guys were from the Stone Age. But they had seen what the gospel had done in a neighboring people group, how it had transformed their culture, and they had found somebody to write down a request for a missionary to come and live with them. That's how my parents heard about them. So they went in there in 1979, and they said, Guys, if you want us to come, we will come and we will live among you so that we can share with you this message. And the Teddy people, man, they wanted it. But guys, understand this. They didn't want missionaries for any lofty, spiritual, noble reasons. Man, they wanted missionaries because with the missionaries also came an avenue to get out to the towns. They knew that the missionaries would likely build an airstrip. They knew that the missionaries would bring medicine, that their children would stop dying. For these reasons, there was an open door. And my parents knew that they weren't asking for for noble reasons, but they knew it was an open door. And so they moved in there, and from day one, they were about learning the language and culture of the Itedi people. Now, me and my brother, man, we were crawling around in the dirt. We lived in a, in a, in a, a real rough house with bark floor. That's what we grew up in. We didn't know any different. I mean, we all wore clothes. We weren't that you know, primitive. But uh, mom and dad spent years learning the language and culture. Guys, 
I'm just going to say a little bit about this. So much of missions work today is done by sending people to other language groups and other cultures, but we don't take the time to learn their language and culture. We come there with our own English, and we vomit out the gospel, and we think that God is going to do something miraculous with this. That's not how he works. When Christ came, he knew the language of his audience. We're not giving them some base message about how to build bridges. We're giving them the most important message there is in the world. How can we think that we should not clearly communicate that message? And it's not just knowing what we're saying to them. We have to understand their mindset so that we know how they're receiving that message. It's not just what we say. It's how they hear it. So for years... They were about learning the language and culture of the, of the Iteti people. After years, they came to the point where they were fluent enough to share the gospel in their language. And that I don't have time to go into the transformation that took place amongst that people group, but I was there in that tribe, and we would sit at the, at the dinner table during lunchtime, and we would, I, I can remember the knocks on the doors. Because by now the Etetis had heard the gospel. The gospel was transforming not just individual lives, but that culture there in that valley. And I can remember the knocks on the door as other people groups were now coming to my dad's house and saying, we want missionaries to come and share this message in our language group with our people. And I I was just a little kid at the time. Uh, but man, I've never been able to shake those memories. They are branded in my mind. And it, back in, in Papua New Guinea right now, there sits a file cabinet with hundreds of request letters from different people groups still asking for missionaries to come and live with them to share this message in their language. There's a file cabinet sitting there today. With those request letters. When I was uh, a little bit older, when I got to third grade, I started going to boarding school. Boarding school for me did not look like jumping on a yellow school bus and you know heading down the street a couple blocks. The, air, the airstrip right out in front of our house, the mission plane would land there. We would all, my brother, myself, and then later on my sister, we would jump on that airplane. We would fly two and a half hours out of the lowland swamps of Papua New Guinea up to the highlands of Papua New Guinea, and we would stay up there, separated from my parents for sometimes two months at a time, sometimes three months at a time. As a third grader, man, it was difficult. Those first years were incredibly difficult. But God used that too in my life to show me that, you know what, this faith, this faith is not just your parents' faith. I am not just the God of your parents. I am your God. And my faith started becoming personal to me at that stage in my life. The years continued on. I continued to see how the gospel was transforming the Teddy People Group. And as I came into high school, we left Papua New Guinea for a year to come back and update our churches on what was going on back there in Papua New Guinea. And we were traveling around, and I was listening to my dad share out of God's word again and again in these different churches. And it was, it was at that time when I was a 10th grader in high school that I started asking these questions. Man, what does God want me to do with my life? What does he want me to do with my life? In 1 Corinthians, Paul, the apostle, again and again, 
And he hammers home the point that you do not belong to yourself. If you are a Christ follower, if you are a child of God, you don't belong to yourself. You have been bought at a very costly price, and you don't belong to yourself. That message was drilled into my head at even that young age of being a 10th grader. And I started realizing that, you know what, I don't have the right to grow up and decide, oh, what are my, what are my inclinations, what are my desires? I need to find those and then I'll, I'll follow those. I'll do what I want to do. Man, that's not what we find in God's word at all. We don't have the latitude to go, ah, oh, what am I good at? And what do I like to do? That's what I'll do with my life. No, no, no. We belong to somebody else. We get our marching orders from the person who owns us. Amen. 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 Our heart needs to be in line with our Lord and Savior. And it doesn't take much study to see very clearly that our, the heart of our Lord and Savior, man, it beats for all peoples. It beats for all peoples. Understanding that I was owned by Christ because he paid for me with his blood. And seeing verses like in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says this in verse 18. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Guys, you are very familiar with these verses. But it's not a coincidence that Christ prefaces the command that he's going to give to his children, the ones that he owns. He prefaces it with, guys, all authority has been given to me. I have the right to say what I'm about to say to you. I have that authority. Because all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. God was working on me at that young age, and I didn't understand the full implications of what I was committing to, but at that age, I did start praying, God, I see so clearly in your word that you want your gospel to reach the ends of the earth, That's what I will do with my life until you close that door. If you want me to do something else, Lord, if you want me to be a sender, if you want me to make lots of money and give it to people so that they can go, man, close the door. I will do that. I'll do anything you want me to do. But until you close that door, God, I'm going to go that way. And if you want me to be the point man out there taking your message, man, just keep the doors open because I know they're open right now. I didn't understand exactly what I was committing to, even though I had seen it my entire life. I didn't know what it would cost to take my wife, my kids, over to that country. Man, growing up there, I was a carefree punk kid, you know? But going back with a wife and kids, oh, completely different. (laughs) Completely different. But I started praying that way, and God still has not closed the door uh, this many years later. I graduated from high school uh, a couple years after that, and I came back here to Southern California, to San Diego, and I went to college for four years. I got a degree in mathematics, and I graduated from college. I got a nice job as an accountant. 
I paid off our school loans really fast. I met my wife in college, and we had a kid. And man, we were, we were enjoying life down there in East County of San Diego. We were so close to the beach. You know, we were making enough money so that we could pay off loans. And then once the loans were paid off, man, we got all this extra money. This is incredible. We're going to buy a house pretty soon. This was the American dream. But I always had these things in the back of my mind. Man, there's people out there that are begging for this. Begging for this. This wide open door. And so two years after we graduated, Rachel and I decided, man, we're going to enroll in missionary training. And we spent two years, the next two years of our lives, training, learning how to learn an unwritten language. The people who have not heard about Jesus Christ, folks, those are the last people on earth. They're the ones that don't have an alphabet. They're the ones that nobody's gone to yet because they're in difficult places. Because they're not in the cities. They're out in the boonies. And those are the ones that still have yet to hear. And we went to school for two years to learn how to reach those types of people. And then in, 19, uh, in 2006... It was our turn to jump on that plane in Los Angeles, California. I had my, my little daughter and my little son at the time. And we hopped on that plane and we flew over there. And man, I, I get a lot of times I get people saying, oh man, it must have been great. You've spent 18 years of your life growing up there. And then in 2006, you went back. It must have been like you were going back home. Guys, it, it, you know, I was familiar with it. But again... Growing up there as a punk kid and going back with a wife and two kids and in-laws back here in America, man, you got a whole host of responsibilities on your shoulders. And as we landed there in Papua New Guinea, I'm just going, God, please, please, please go before me because this is way out of my league, way out of my league. We landed there in 2006 and... I already knew the trade language, how to communicate roughly with the people of Papua New Guinea. But Papua New Guinea is about the size of California, and there's over 800 different language groups, distinct different languages. I mean, Russia, Russian and Swahili, Portuguese and French, just distinct different languages there in that country of that size. So we, we learned the rough trade language and how to communicate and buy food and barter. But definitely not a language that's able to communicate deeper spiritual truths like the gospel message. And so we're, we're living there in the support town. And eventually, a year and a half after we had arrived, the mission leadership came to us. And they said, guys, you've got the trade language well enough. We want you to start praying about where God is going to have you give the next 10 to 15 years of your life. With what people group does he want you to live with? And they walked us up into the administration building to the file cabinet and they pulled out the drawer full of these manila folders with request letters. And they said, guys, familiarize yourselves with these people. Start praying about which one of these God would have you live with. And it was around that time that we heard about this people group called the BM people. Iteddy, that place that we had grown up in, they already had the gospel. They had now had the Bible translation. There was a strong, vibrant, self-sustaining, self-perpetuating church. There were no more missionaries there. The Iteddy people were leading that church. And they were even taking the gospel message to the neighboring language groups. 
The work there was complete. They did not need anybody anymore. But these people, the BM people, man, no understanding of the gospel. No viable gospel witness. And so we started researching them. We found out that they live on four islands off the north coast of Papua New Guinea. And so we went down, we made contact with a couple of the BM people who live on the mainland, and we said, hey, we'd like to go out and we'd like to visit your islands. Would that be okay? They arranged a boat. And I can remember the day that we piled in the boat to go out there. Guys, this is, this is a, a, a boat, okay? It's a glorified bathtub, all right? You stick your arms out like this, and you can put your hands in the ocean at the same time, okay? That's how wide this boat is, all right? It's about 23 feet long, and there's one tiny little 40-horse motor on the back of this thing. And we pack in all these fat American missionaries into that little tiny boat. It's sitting out of the water by the time we shove off about 10 inches. Now listen, if we were going about 15 minutes or half hour away, that would have been fine. But the first hour rolls by and we're all joking and laughing. The second hour starts coming along and all of a sudden the joking starts to, starts to cut down a little bit. All of a sudden, you're seeing a whole lot more ocean out there and a whole lot less mainland. The second hour rolls by. The third hour rolls by. And now you can't see anything except blue. Guys, there's no Coast Guard where we live. Papua New Guinea doesn't have any patrol boats out there looking for folks who get in trouble or engines that stop. It's just you and the ocean. And all the joking has stopped by now. By the time the fourth hour rolls by, we are traversing 80 miles of open ocean in this little bathtub. And I can remember that fourth hour started to come by and I started to see this red sulfur cone pop up over the horizon. And our boat driver is going, that's the island. That's BM. And this thing gets clearer and clearer. And as we get closer, I realize this is an active volcano where 2,000 people have chosen to make their home. It's, it's like you're driving up to the set of Joe versus the volcano. Okay, This thing's about one square mile in size, just a little pinprick in the middle of the ocean. And that's the central island for the BM people. We shored that day. We went up to the chief's house. And we told them, as they gathered the leaders in the community around, we said, guys, if you want us to come, these are the things that we'll do. We will learn your language and culture. We will teach you how to read and write in your language, something that had never been done. We will teach you God's word in your language, something that had never been done. And we will translate the Bible into your language. If you want us to come, we will come and do these four things. If you don't, that's fine. That's fine. They gathered together as leaders, and they said, man, we want to hear. We want to hear this message in our language. We've heard people try to explain it before to us in English. We don't know English. We've heard people try to explain it before in the trade language. Come on. We can buy and sell bananas with the trade language, but we don't understand this when they explain it to us in the trade language. He said, guys, we'll come. We're going to come and we're going to live amongst you guys. We're not going to stay on the mainland and take trips out here. That's not what Christ did. He didn't stay in heaven and come down for a couple weeks. Man, he came and he lived with the Israelites. That's what we're coming to do. And so we went back to the mainland that day and we... 
We told our wives and kids who are not with us on that trip, guys, God's opened this door, and this is where we're going to be living. And man, I praise God every day of my life for the wife that he has given to me. She is such a trooper. She is a gamer. She said, yeah, active volcano, it doesn't matter. If that's where God wants us, that's where we'll go. And so we got to better, uh, together our building supplies and uh, packed them all on the boat. And we started making trips out there until we could build our house. We built our house, and it was still just a rough shell. But man, the most important thing that we could do from day one was build credibility for the message that we were going to one day be sharing with them. In everything that we did, in how we communicated to the people, and how we worked to get their language and culture, were we lazy? Come on, we told them, this is the most important message you're ever going to hear. And then they see us out there, casually going about, learning their language. Yeah, how does that line up? No, 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 no. We busted our tails. 50, 60 hour work weeks, out with the people. Where they went, we went. What they did, we did. So that we could not just understand and know their language fluently, but also understand their culture. So that we knew how to speak to them and how they would receive our message. Communication always goes together. What you say and how they receive it. Language and culture. That's what we were about for years with the BM people. I could tell you story after story uh, of what it was like during those initial years. Um, But to save time, I'm going to show a short video here just about what the BM people were like. The, the video is a little bit dated. You guys are going to see things in this video. This is not Bakersfield, what you're going to see up here, guys. Uh, they live differently, but please, please, please understand this. These people matter to our Lord and Savior. They matter no less to Him than you or I do. And this is who He had brought us to go and reach. So I'm going to show this uh, video and then uh, we'll keep speaking after that. And I'll just give you an idea of what those language learning years were like.
you can see, the the video's a little dated. It was something that we shoot, uh, showed to churches uh, uh, several years ago when we were getting ready to go back to the island um, back in 2011. We had spent years learning their language and culture, and we were up to the point where we were going to begin preparations to now share the gospel with the BM people for the first time. Before we could do that, we had to come back to the States. We had been over in Papua New Guinea for four years. We had to come back, take care of several medical needs, update folks that were part of our sending team. This is what we're doing. This is where we're at. This is how the work is progressing. But we're going back. And we're going to begin sharing the gospel with them. That was back in 2011. As you can see, uh, man, very, very different from how you and I live. Um, Guys, the folks that Christ came to reach, man, they were ugly, ugly people. Sinners. You and I. These people, man, ugly, ugly sinners. But these are the folks that Christ died on the cross for. Man, men and women out of that people group and every other people group in the world he died to save in 2011 uh, after spending a year here in the states we jumped back on another plane headed back over there we landed and we returned to the island uh, another hairy boat trip um, but we made it out there and guys man our hearts were beating out of our chests at that time because we had laid such a firm foundation relationships with these people years spent developing credibility and we were at the point now where we were going to call in those favors that we had earned we were going to ask for an audience for the message that we were going to be sharing the first thing that we had to do we had to teach them how to read and write in their language we had we knew their language at that point but there was no alphabet no bm speech had ever been written before We had to develop that alphabet, that orthography, so that we could translate the scriptures into their language. So that when we stood up and taught, we could say, guys, this isn't something that I'm thinking. This isn't a message that came from America. This isn't a message that came from Germany, where where our fellow missionaries are from. It's not their message. This is a message that came from the creator of the universe. It's in his book. Look, see, read. We had to teach them how to read and write in their language so that they could read those scripture portions. And so we did that. Towards the end of that literacy training time, when we felt like there was enough of the population that were well-versed in reading their language, we began pre-evangelism. And this was a stage where up until this point on that island, we had heard all of their spiritual Ideas We had heard about their animism, how they believe spirits indwelt everything. And spirits were out there to be appeased, to be tricked. And if you didn't know how to trick them, man, they would come and they would wreak havoc on your lives. And they would make your kids and children get sick. We had heard and we knew about how they took that spiritism and they had merged it with the Catholic teaching that had come to their island over a hundred years before we had arrived. They had taken this, this Catholic teaching that had been given to them in English or in the trade language, and they, said, they thought, okay, here's this God who comes from this book. He sounds pretty powerful. All right, we're going to take him, and we're going to take all these spirits that we've always, always believed in. Well, we'll put them together, and it's kind of like a double insurance. If we can make him happy, and we can make these people happy, these spirits happy, then, yeah, that will increase our chances of having a good life. 
Because we understood how they thought. And during pre-evangelism, we started to poke holes in their worldviews. We started to poke holes in this mentality that they had. Asking them, guys, do you really think that you have the answers to this question? Where did your uncle go when you buried him? When you buried him last year, where did he go? Well, traditionally, we've always thought that he went to this, Manuo or Manau, the city of the dead. Well, he was from this clan, so he went to Kettlebeam. No, no, no. The Catholics teach he went to purgatory. Well, he was kind of bad, so maybe he's in hell. Did you, well, guys, you say this, and you say this, and you say this. Well, which one's true? And we just kept asking questions, not giving answers. It was important that we did not give answers. We just started getting them thinking, do we really know? Do we really understand? How sure are we? And guys, it's very, very, very clear. When the crisis points come in their lives, when someone who is loved and their family dies, and that's when all the facade falls to the ground, and we get the honest answers from them going, we just don't know. We just don't know. We've got no answer to that. And we were asking these questions saying, guys, we're going to start teaching on this. We're going to begin teaching just a couple more months, just a couple more weeks, just a couple more days. Come and listen. Come and listen. And in July of 2012, we began teaching. We knew that this wasn't going to be, hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and here it is. It wasn't going to take a couple days. It wasn't even going to take a couple weeks. It was going to take a long time to unpack God's message. And so we started at the beginning. Guys, this is the God of the scriptures. He created the universe. This is his goodness. Look at what he made for you guys. God doesn't need food. He's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't need food like that. But look at all this stuff that he made. Why did he make that? Why did he make all these types of bananas, the 30 different kinds of banana trees that you guys have on BM? This is when our culture study came into play. We were able to say, guys, think about these fish. Think about these bananas. Think about how you work the garden in this manner and how these ferns grow this way. And, and they're going, wow, these guys know exactly what it's like to be a BM person and live on this island. And they're going, yes. God was so good to make the world in this way for us. He loved us so much. He didn't need any of that. And in fact, he could have just given us one kind of fish. But think about the many, many different things, the many different fish he made just because he loves us. Amen. And we started unpacking that, the creation story, God's goodness. And we came up to the fall. Guys, the fall was so huge. It's so huge for everybody. Our, our, our people on BM had to be convinced. They had to know for sure that God sees every single sin and he judges every sin. And the penalty for sin is death. And as we're acting out, dramatizing, I mean, guys, you talk about hokey and cheesy. That Our, our skits, our enactments of the Bible dramas were exactly that. But for the BM people, it was like IMAX, man. This, this nothing gets better than this. And so we're acting out the Satan. And I'm dressed up in my old college graduation robe, draped in black. And I'm walking around. And I'm whispering in Eve's ear, Eve, just eat it. God's trying to keep... 
keep you from understanding, keep you from knowing what is good and evil. You deserve that. He's keeping something good from you. He doesn't want the best for you. Pick it. Eat it. And the BM people are sitting on the sides of the teaching house just going, no! Don't do that. <laughs> My co-worker's wife, she's looking at it, and she's speaking to herself, man, why would, why would God keep something good for me? And Satan's got her already doubting. He's got her doubting God's goodness. And she picks up that fruit, and she takes a bite, and she gives it to Adam. And we said, guys, what did God tell Adam and Eve would happen when they ate that fruit? What did he tell them? He said in the day that they ate of it, they would surely die. And did they die, guys? And our young guys are going, "Mm, no, no, they didn't die. We're going, well, wait a sec now, guys, come on. Is God lying? And they're going, no, 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 God doesn't lie. This is one of his attributes. Man, God is always truthful. He's always truthful. Well, what did he mean? He said they would die, but they didn't die. We're going, guys, when they ate of that fruit, they died spiritually. They died spiritually at that moment. And we walked out of the teaching house, and I ripped off a branch from a nearby tree, and I brought it in, and I said, guys, look at this tree branch. Is this tree branch alive or dead? And they're all going, no, it's dead, it's dead. I said, why? Look, it's still green. How can you say it's dead? They said, it's dead because it's not connected to the source of life. I said, guys, that's exactly right. Adam and Eve were spiritually dead at that point. And just like this tree branch is going to wither and dry up and die physically, man, their bodies too would die. They were no longer connected to the source of life. They were separated because God is holy. Man, sin cannot be with him, cannot be in fellowship with him forevermore. People who were born from Adam and Eve would be born separated from God. Just like tuna fish have little baby tuna fish and your village dogs have little baby village dogs and your pigs have little pigs, people who are spiritually dead give birth to babies who are spiritually dead. And they're going, oh my goodness. This makes sense. This makes sense. We didn't have to teach our kid how to be selfish, how to get angry, how to think of himself. Man, he already knows it. Now it makes sense. He was born that way. Nobody had to teach him. We're born separated from God. And their eyes are beginning to open. They're beginning to understand. Man, we're in a big, big predicament. God sees every sin. The penalty for every sin is death. Every sin is death. We spent three weeks, three weeks from creation up until Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden. They had to be grounded in their understanding of their sinfulness before a holy God. I have to share this story real quick because, guys, it was so foundational to who our BM believers would become that, man, we we spent so much time hammering this Years later, one of my spiritual brothers, a Christian, a BM Christian, uh, he came back from the mainland. And uh, he, he was driving our boat. He was on a supply run. He came back. He shored on the island. And he came up. 
And he's like, oh, man, Brandon, i got to talk to you. i got to talk to you. I'm going, Morris, hey, what's up? Tell me what you're thinking. He goes, no, 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 no I can't do it now. Uh, I said, all right, come back tonight. Come back tonight, and we'll talk a little bit. He goes, oh, man, okay, I'll be back tonight. And so I take care of all the supplies, pack stuff away. It becomes night. He comes down, knocks on the door. He's like, come out. I've got to tell you this story. I've got to tell you what happened to me on the mainland. I go, okay, what happened? He goes, I went to the mainland and I saw my brother, not my spiritual brother, but my, my uh, physical brother. I saw him on the mainland. And you know how he's gone to school. He's gone to seminary, a Bible school on the mainland. He's supposed to know all this stuff. I go, yeah, I've, I've heard of that. I've never met him, but I've heard of him. He goes, I started to tell him from the beginning. I said, brother, we are all Born separated. We all have a sin debt before this holy God. And there's nothing we can do to get it straightened out. We're all born separated. And not only that, you were born that way. And you have sinned ever since. And God's seen every single one of your sins. And he's going to judge every single one of your sins. You're in a big, big predicament. And I'm going, buddy, that's awesome. And he's telling me how he unpacked this for his brother. And his brother's going... Oh my goodness, I've never heard this before. How do you know this, Morris? He goes, it's in God's word. It's in God's word. And I'm going, buddy, that's great. That's great. And what did you tell him next? And Morris looks at me. He goes, I didn't tell him anything. I got on the boat and I came back to the island. (laughs) And I'm going, Morris, what are you doing, man? You told him all the bad news. You didn't even tell him the good news. (laughs) And... His smile goes away, and he looks at me, completely honest look on his face, and he says, Brandon, come on. You know that unless he truly understands his sin, he's not going to understand what Christ did on the cross for him. Unless he knows his sickness, he's not going to want the medicine. So he looks at me, he says, I told my brother, brother, I want you to think about this. And I don't know when I'm going to be back. It might be a couple months. It might be longer. But when I come back, I'll tell you the rest of the message. But think about that. Think about that. Guys, I praise God for how he grounded our believers from the very beginning, not just in Adam and Eve's sinfulness, but in humanity's sinfulness, and more specifically in each one of theirs. And you and I are born separated from God. And we are in one heck of a predicament with nothing we can do to sort it out. Praise God, he sent his son. We went from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel. Their sacrifices, Noah, the Tower of Babel, Abraham and Isaac. And how Isaac's up there on the altar. And Abraham can do nothing to save his son. Isaac can do nothing to save himself. But God provides a substitute. Touching on all of these themes in the Old Testament, they had to understand God's holiness, their sin, that God is the only one that could help out Abraham. He's the only one that could have clothed Adam and Eve. He's the only one that could help anybody. And we came up to Moses. And up until this point, we've got a teaching house that is full of two kinds of people, okay? There's two kinds of people on the island. We've got the reprobates of BM society, the drug addicts, the rapists, the murderers, the uh, drunkards. I mean, you name it, we've got it on BM. 
Okay? And they're coming to the teaching. They're listening. It's not taking a lot of convincing to, to show them that they're pretty messed up, to show them that they're sinful, to show them that they've got this massive sin dead. But we've got this other crowd too. We've got what I'll term the Pharisees. Okay? They're the ones that have gone and played church all their life. They've tried to follow the Ten Commandments, and they think, most of them, that they've done a pretty good job of it. So we've got these two crowds, and we knew that these lessons on the Mosaic Law were going to be huge. And we started on the first day, and we said, guys, this is the standard. This is what God says, okay? He says, man, I don't want you committing adultery, okay? But it means so much more than going and sleeping with a woman, okay? You look on a woman with lust in your heart, man, you've broken that commandment. Okay? Stealing, coveting, this, this, this. Okay? This is what God's word says. Do you see it? And we showed it to him. Now, how do you line up? How do you line up? Go back to your houses today and think about that. And we were really hoping that the Pharisees, we knew that the, the tax collectors and the, the murderers, they would have no problem going, yeah, I, oh man, I am in hot water. Okay? But we were really hoping the Pharisees would go back and honestly look at their lives and go, you know what? Man, we've got, we've got some big, big trouble here. They came back the second day. This wasn't an issue that we could just skip over quickly. Okay? They based their entire spiritual lives on these ten laws. Many of them did. So they came back the second day and we said, how did you do? How did you do? Let me ask you a question. When Adam and Eve sinned, how many times did they sin and they were separated from God? Just once. Just once. Satan, what did he do? Lucifer? Well, he kind of had a bad month. He had a bad year up there in heaven. Once, God cast him out. Now, you guys, how are you doing? How are you doing? Think about it. How did you do yesterday? How did you do last week? How did you do last month? How have you done this last year? Be honest. We know because we've lived with you for these last five years. We sent him home again. Guys, come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. And we had everybody come back again the third day of teaching on the law. And we said, guys, this law that God gave was never intended to be the road to heaven. Man, you could have heard a pin drop in that teaching house. It was never intended to be the road to heaven. We read to them Romans 5, 20. Man, it was given so that sin would increase. It was never intended to be the road. It was given so that we would know how nasty and dirty and sinful we are. We would look at this picture painted by the Ten Commandments of how holy and righteous this God was. And we would go, man, that is not me. And we acted out this drama. We said, guys, this law is like a mirror. It's like a mirror. And it shows us how dirty we are. But you guys, you take it and you go, oh, no, the law, it's going to clean me. And you act like it's this bar of soap. And everybody's laughing and giggling. And we're going, this is exactly what you do. This was never given to clean you. This was given to show you how dirty you are. And we wrapped up the lesson that day and we had no idea what was going to happen because, man, this was right at the core of their central beliefs. The law is how I will make God happy with me and earn my ticket to heaven. The next day we came back 
and the day after that, and the weeks after that. Guys, our attendance that day was cut in half. The Pharisees never more came again. The ones who continued to come and listen were the ones who knew, Phew, if that's not the road, oh, thank goodness, because I can't measure up to that. I cannot do it. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I thought that was the road and I thought, man, I was doomed. But now I hear it's not the road. Oh, man, please, God, make another way. Make another way. Thank you that that's not the way. There's got to be another way. And we continued teaching through the Old Testament. And we came up till Jesus. Jesus coming on the scene. And guys, the virgin birth for our guys was just the greatest hope of joy that you can imagine. To hear of this God-man who was born not of the line of Adam and Eve, and therefore not with that sinful nature, he wasn't tainted. He's the only one ever that's been born without that sin taint, without that sin nature. And our guys are going, okay, wait a sec, something's up here, something's up. This guy's special. This is special. And as we walk through the life of Christ, and they saw how he came to be a friend to the sinners. Week after week, we unpacked this stuff. From creation all the way up until the cross, guys, it took three months of unfolding this message. And they're watching as Christ sees straight to the hearts of the Pharisees. No, 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 no. You are just outward. I see your heart. I know what's going on in there. He's so able to see it and point it out. And to the sinners, he loved them. And our audience, man, they're falling in love with this guy. They're falling in love with him. And as he walked through miracle after miracle, they knew that he had come to sort out the sin problem. And he didn't just say, okay, I'm the one. He's showing it. He's showing it. Now think about this. Before, when God created the world, did we have any sickness? No, there was no sickness in the garden when God created it. Sickness came as a result of sin. And Christ is going, guys, I'm the one to take care of the sin problem. Watch. Sickness, not a problem for me. I heal the sick. Hunger, that wasn't there at the beginning. Hunger, not a problem for me either, guys. I'll feed the 5,000. Creation that's been marred by sin, yep, that'll obey me too. The wind and the waves, they hear my voice, they obey. Death, death itself, this incredible byproduct of sin. Death too, yep, I've got that one taken care of. Lazarus, get up. He didn't just come and say that he was going to be the answer. He showed them. And our guys are going, look at that. (laughs) Look at that. He's got the power to take care of every byproduct of sin. And we know that on the cross, man, he took care of sin itself. The very root of the problem. Two days left of teaching. And we're telling our guys, guys, we've got two days left. Please come. Please come. And we acted out the Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. The last day, uh, we asked him to come back. And we act out the final portions. And we finish our time with this time of teaching. 
And we say, guys, do you realize what happened? Do you realize what happened when Jesus was hanging on that cross? When he said, it is finished. It is finished. That work that you've been trying year after year of your life to accomplish, he finished it. He finished it. That temple with the curtain that hung in the middle of the temple that always showed the Israelites every time they went there, every time they thought about the temple, that curtain that shows, no, 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 you're sinful, you're separated from me, I'm a holy God, I'm over here. Here's my ark, and you guys are out here because of your sin. You're there, I'm here, we're separated. That curtain was torn. That curtain was torn. He made that way, and our guys coined the term Jesus is the Jalkatamat. He's the roadman. He's the roadman. They don't have a term for Messiah or even Savior. They call Jesus the roadman because he was the one who came to make a road for sinners to be reconciled back to God. He didn't just come. He didn't just come to make a road. He himself became the road. It is by him that we are reconciled back to God. We asked them, guys, do you realize that that thief that was hanging on the cross, he didn't have time to go get baptized. His whole life was a train wreck. He didn't add up to those Ten Commandments. Man, he deserved to be in hell. But what did Christ say to him? He didn't have time to get church membership. He didn't have time to take any sacrament. He didn't have time. He didn't have time. He didn't have time. But he did believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And Jesus said to him, Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And our guys are going, oh my word. This is nothing we've ever heard before. And we wrapped it up. We didn't say, hey, raise your hands if you believe this. We just said, guys, if you understand what Jesus did, what Jesus did on that cross, come talk to us sometime. We walked back to our houses that day. And uh, it was interesting. I mean, we didn't know, hey, is anybody going to come and talk to us? And we could see people, you know, kind of getting it in their faces, in their eyes, their expressions. We went back down, and over the next couple weeks, we had about 30 to 40 BM men and women who came with clear professions of faith, understanding, man, Jesus hung on that cross because of what I did. I should have been up there. My sins demanded death, and he took that. Just like the lamb took Isaac's place, he took mine. He took mine. Guys, it has been a tremendous privilege to be able to see God raise dead people to life on that island. That's what he's about. That's what he's about. That's what he has done in many of your lives. If you are a child of God, that's what he's done in your life. And in the same way that if Lazarus was right here today and... Jesus raised him bodily from the grave. We would all be freaking out and in awe. Guys, that's what he's done to us Amen. spiritually. Amen. Amen. He's raised us to life. When we lay dead in the morgue, this is the example we always tell our BM guys. Guys, there is no way that a dead person laying in the morgue can do anything to aid himself, to resurrect himself, unless God intervened. That guy remains dead. Yes. Yes. And our guys 
and gals on that island. Not everybody, but man, there's a handful of them that today, man, they understand what Christ did and they know him as their Lord and Savior. That was back in 2012. We wrapped up that teaching and immediately we had this group of infant believers that are going, well, what do we do now? What do we do now? This is awesome. What do we do now? And so immediately we jumped into Acts. Oh, man, there were baby Christians back then. What did they do? They started gathering together and our guys are going, well, that's what we need to do. We need to get together. We need to worship because we can't go worship over here. These guys, they're spiritually dead and they think that they're lifting up praise to God. God doesn't even hear that. They're dead. How can we stand shoulder to shoulder with them? We believe in a different gospel, in the real gospel. And so they started gathering together, not because we told them to, because they saw it in God's word. And forever, since that point on, they've always pointed back and they've said, no, 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 no. Those missionaries did not build this church. God built this church. God built this church. Guys, I could... Man, I could speak forever on this stuff. You can tell it gets me excited. Um, Praise God that he is in the business of raising the dead to life. Praise God for you and for me. That is incredibly good news. We're going to be heading back in just two weeks to continue discipling that church. They've grown by leaps and bounds. And there's still so much more to do. Uh, It's a tremendous privilege to be the hands and feet that are out there. But guys, it takes a whole body to accomplish that mission. And that mission is not just for some, it's for all of us. We don't have time to turn there, but in, I want to close with this in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is kind of the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Okay? He started off in Nazareth. And Nazareth, they were like, no, 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 we know who you are, you're, you're not anything special. They didn't want anything of it, okay? They almost tried to throw him over a cliff, all right? So he leaves Nazareth, and he goes on to a town called Capernaum. And in Capernaum, there's a vastly different reaction. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. And the people from Capernaum and the surrounding villages, they're like, we want more of this. This is awesome. Man, ears to hear? Yes, check. They had that. Effective ministry going on? Yes, check. There was. Good things happening? Yes, check. There was. And he wakes up the next morning and he goes out to a secluded place and he's praying and people track him down. And they're like, Jesus, come on, we've got more work to do. All these people are coming. There's so much more healing that's going to happen today. You know what Jesus says to them? He says, I've got to keep going. I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom in the other towns because that is why I was sent. Please be clear about this. Was what he was doing in Capernaum, was was that bad what he was doing there? Healing people, casting out? That wasn't bad. That was good ministry that was happening there. But there was a priority in his mind. Man, the reason for which I was sent was to get this message out to all of these towns in Israel, in Judea. Okay? That was a priority. Did he neglect feeding the people and healing them and casting out demons? No, he did that as well. 
Okay? But make no mistake about it. There was a priority for him. He did see, hey, the reason for which I was sent was this. Now you fast forward a couple chapters and he says, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you guys. I want you guys to take my message to the ends of the earth. Now I'm not saying we don't do good in our community. Of course we do. Of course we shine like lights that we are where we're at. But guys, there's too many churches in America today that have been sidetracked. They've been sidetracked and they've forgotten the mission that Christ has given the church. And that mission is to get his name to every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what we're supposed to be about. As we do that, yes, we're faithful husbands and wives. Yes, we shine like lights in our community. Yes, we meet the needs of the needy and the poor. But make no mistake about it. He did give us a mission. And it's to make his name glorified in the ends of the earth. Uh, Can we play that last video? And I'll just uh, end with that. This video is just a short five-minute clip on what the teaching was like. Those three months that we taught the BM people from creation to Christ.